Warning, the following audio transmission is based on theory and is intended for entertainment purposes only. It's Doomsday and its affiliates will not be held liable for anything your dumbass does. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome everybody to It's Doomsday Podcast. Today is March 15th, 2022. Time is 21.32. Guys, I lost my voice. It sucks. It happens. I want you guys to have a listen to this episode. This is part one of two entitled Secrets Revealed. I know a lot of you guys do not catch the live shows. Sunday night, we did a really good live show and we had a special guest come in named Sean P. Starry. If you guys want to reach out to Sean, you can find him on TikTok at Sean P. Starry. That's S-H-A-W-N-P-S-T-A-R-R-Y. Also, Michael Key joined me for this episode as well. You could find Michael Key on here, or you could find him anywhere at the Real Conservative Talk podcast. Both episodes are up right now, so you guys don't have to wait. Listen to part one first. I'm telling you guys, there's a lot here. Have a listen. So, Sean, I'll tell you what, uh, while we're waiting on some more people to come in here, uh, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us what's going on? We'll mute ourselves and let you have the floor. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Sean Starry. Um, I, I'm, I'm currently an author right now. I've got two books out there. Um, anyway, uh, I'll give you a little background on me. I'm 48 years old. Um uh, I used to work for the military-industrial complex, uh, attached to and trained with the United States Marine Corps and Barsoc Division. Uh, I was an intelligence officer. So I had pretty much my hand in a lot of what was going on overseas during the um, nuclear, biological, and chemical inspections of Iraq. Um from 1992 to 1993. Um, I was assigned to uh, help oversee uh, the incident in Somalia as well uh, the campaign in Bosnia. So uh, I'll give you a little bit of information about the military-industrial complex and how it works. So the military-industrial complex is basically controlled by the Congress of the United States of America. They basically are the ones that are funding the military-industrial complex. However, though, in recent years, um, when Trump was president, he cut all funding to the military-industrial complex. And instead, he funded it to, to the military itself and to... Uh, supporting agencies to the military. So the military-industrial complex is kind of pretty pissed off, um, and they, in assistance with the Clinton Foundation, they've launched this campaign against Trump for four years, as we all know it. 
and trying to simply derail him, frame him in any way they possibly can. Um, as we all know that it failed, but yet it succeeded in a way. Um, he was not able to get reelected. Uh, I can personally tell you that the military industrial complex is an, is a multifaceted organization, several different organizations that are involved in it. Um, the company that I worked through at the time was uh, Boeing. And that's how I got my foot into the military. Um, I did not go through the normal channels, so my contract was different. Um, I don't get a DD-124. I don't get a veteran benefits. I don't get any of those things because my contract was through the military industrial complex uh, through, through Boeing. Even though that I trained with the United States Marine Corps, went through training from Barsoc, um, and served overseas. But my job was primarily reporting was to the CIA. So just think of it more as a, a government spy within the military organization. Okay. Um, my job was to assess a lot of, of what we found and what we didn't find. Um, and I've had the opportunity to go to the White House. Um, I, I had an opportunity to meet with the President Bill Clinton at the time. And when I went to that meeting, um, I was there with some staff members and some generals. Uh, Hillary Clinton was in the room at the Oval, Oval House or the Oval Office at the time. And I made a kind of a reference to her husband, Bill that she needs to leave because she's not a government employee and she does not have the clearance levels to be there in the first place. Um, so if you ever get a chance, you Google it up. Uh, I want to say it's October, November, 2015. It'd be in October, 2000. Yeah. 2015 in Iowa, Mason city, Iowa, Hillary Clinton was running for president against Donald Trump. And she was doing a campaign in Mason City. My oldest daughter happened to go there. And because of her disability, they gave her uh, first opportunity to, to speak to Hillary uh, when she was leaving the, um, the convention, her, her speech say there. And she told Hillary, she said, um, just to let you know, my dad... He's a Donald Trump supporter. What do you think about that? So she asked my daughter, she said, well, what's your dad's name? And she said, Sean Starry. And so she looked at her again and she said, kind of repeated. So once she heard my name, you could see her eyes roll in the back of her head. And she came back with kind of a really quick um, uh, public slam, as I call it, um, basically insulting me, telling me that I need to listen to my daughter. Okay, and that she doesn't have horns, and I, you know, she listened to my daughter, and basically both were her, you know. Um, the next day, I was working at the time as a bank protection officer, and my phone blew up. Every media outlet started calling me, saying, "Hey, um, we want to know what your reaction to this." 
Now, at this point, I have not seen the video. So I tell them that I, if I'm interested, I'll give them a call back. So I cut out, and then I go to the break room, and I'm looking at my phone, and I'm watching this video. And anybody with a reasonable amount of intelligence would know, okay, first of all, I don't want to be in the spotlight. That's, that's not what I want. Um, did I feel a sense of betrayal from my daughter? Yeah, a public embarrassment on that grand scale. That wasn't a very nice thing to do, but did I forgive my daughter for it? Of course I did. Um, now, as time started progressing on, you know, I started to notice that there was a shift, a massive shift in everything about my life from losing and getting fired just suddenly one day out of the blue um, shortly after this this uh, incident with Hillary my supervisor showed up and said I didn't have a job anymore and I thought that was pretty odd so I decided to utilize my talents for the next couple of years and I became a security consultant for uh, big, large firm companies. I was an independent security consultant is what I was doing. So they would pay me to travel and go to their places and figure out um, if they had any kind of leak in their security, if they had any issues with their security. And then my job was to kind of infiltrate it in a way, find out what the weak spots are, and then basically come up with a plan and tell them exactly how to fix it. Hey Preppers, do you want 10% off survival food? Go to www.readywise.com and use code DOOM10 at checkout for 10% off all your survival food needs. Again, that's code DOOM10 at checkout at readywise.com, D-O-O-M-10 for 10% off at readywise.com. And how to save kind of fluid so their security can be revolving uh, whether it's from their security cameras to personnel security, uh, what changes they need to make. Um, I was gone for about two years. Um, then I went to a security convention, and I met a gentleman from Allied, and we got to talking, and <laughs> he says, well, I know... The, the guy that's in charge of the Chicago division and hey, you know, they need some help and um, they were willing to offer me some pretty good money to go work for them and on my flight back home, I thought I was talking to my wife and of course she thought that was a more reasonable offer uh, than having me traveling and being gone all the time, so I thought, okay, that's fine so I took the job working for Allied now here's what I didn't know at the time is Allied um, what part is a part of the military industrial complex? Not a lot of people know this, okay? Um, and the way I found out was through several of my contacts, my friends, guys that I've served with that are still on the service um, in Washington, D.C. at the Pentagon. And they had come across and said, hey, look, um, we just want you to know that the company you're working for 
is um, part of the military industrial complex. And I said, oh, how so? And he said, well, there's another company that's actually, it's, uh, they're part of uh, an organization that uh, works on uh, barge ships and they basically keep the pirates from invading the ships. And Allied has teamed up with them and they're going to be a part of that. And uh, But because of the fact that they're a global company, um, they have made a lot of money doing what they do. Now, if you ever worked for Allied, you would know the kind of atmosphere and the kind of um, precipitation of that company, the way they operate. Um, now, when I worked with them, um, I was working actually at a Department of Human Services office to begin with. And it was one of the most toxic places you can ever work at. And in my year and a half tenure that I worked at the DHS office, I was able to manage the entire office all by myself uh, for that whole entire duration. I've never had anybody stay there or last that long. Um, I had one partner that came in four months at the end of that. And uh, we were supposed to have a total of three security, armed security officers working at that DHS office. And, and here I was managing, micromanaging it all by myself uh, most of the duration. Now, when the pandemic hit in January of 2020, is that right? Yeah. And I was contacted by a friend of mine at the Pentagon telling me and advising me that um, this coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, had made its way to the United States and that we should be wearing uh, protective gear, masks, gloves, uh, hand sanitizers, anything and everything. Because they didn't, they, they didn't know how bad it was going to be with this spreading pretty quickly. And it came through the airline systems, and that's how quickly it spread. I had given him my boss's phone number uh, and his email to contact him. A day later, my boss sends forwards me an email from our client, which is the state of Illinois, basically saying they do not want any of their security officers to wear any masks or gloves because they didn't want to scare the public. The day after this phone call, or I got this email that was forwarded to me, a customer that I had kicked out of the office a week before, she came back into the office knowing that she had the COVID and she coughed a spit in my face. Um, a couple days later, I was down and out. Um, I was actually off work for a total of 90 days and uh, I pretty much had to burn off all of my sick time, my paid vacation, um, my unpaid dailies. Um, then when I recovered from it, I came back to work. We went from having over 200 armed officers for the state of Illinois count down to 27. So our managers and our um, supervisors were forced to do some field work, but they had me pretty much working um, the northern half of the state of Illinois. So I, from Dubuque to Chicago, 
I had to pretty much cover that entire spectrum of wherever they needed me. And I was putting in close to about 100 hours a week. Um, now, I did this for about six months. And then um, they ended up having me work in Rockford, Illinois, at a lottery office. Um, and I was battling with exhaustion, um, just a lot of depression. Um, and then when the riots occurred, in downtown Chicago during this whole Black Lives Matter rally. Um, <clears throat> while I was down there, we had had to deal with a lot of the, uh, I don't want to call them peaceful protesters because even though there were some peaceful protesters, but there was a lot of folks that were inciting the violence. Um, what was interesting is this. So the second day we were there, one of the gentlemen that was dressed in a black outfit with black stocking cap, he had a radio earpiece in his ear. And we noticed that he was talking to some, some, of, the, some of the people there. Um, and we thought that was kind of suspicious at first, you know. And somehow he got involved with those people who were going to try to demolish the window, the, the 20-foot windows in front of the building. Um, so we targeted him, we reached up, grabbed him, pulled up in, the rest of the guards formed a shield, we zip-tied him, um, and just before the Chicago SWAT team pulled up in the dark green van, uh, we pulled out, I pulled out his wallet, and it turns out he was an FBI agent. Um, <laughs> so we loaded him up in the van, they took him away, um, then later that, towards that evening, uh, we were uh, making rounds around the building. And my supervisor came up and said, look, I need you to go pick up another co-worker on the west side of Chicago and bring him back. Now, on our way back, uh, we actually got, we were coming down the road. Um, we were ambushed by... Um, Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioters. Um, they shot our. They shot at the car. Uh, I had just bought a armor-plated vest for my partner that day, and so when I went to pick him up, I gave it uh, the uh, the vest to him and he put it on. And uh, it turns out that that's actually what saved our lives. Um, a CPD Chicago police officer was coming around the corner at the time when this was happening and picked us up and took us back to our office building. Um, still to this day, I have pictures of the car, of the aftermath of it, which is, it was pretty bad. Um, then April of last year, when things kind of won down, um, and let me backtrack a little bit. So, November of 2020. Well, hold, hold on a second, Sean, because I do got, I have so many questions about so many different things you've touched on already, if you don't mind me jumping in here no, and getting fine. some of these questions answered. I, I know my, I got Michael muted. I think Michael can unmute himself. He might have some questions too. But to first go back and touch on the, the FBI agent that you guys uh, d detained. Um, so 
basically what you're getting at is that the FBI was there uh, pushing these riots and citing these riots? Yes, they were orchestrating, well, they were orchestrating these riots. Um, we found out through some secret and private channels, through some people that I used to work with uh, that work at the Pentagon, that told me that the FBI was weaponized by the Obama administration in 2006, as well as the media. And it's, they're tied to the FBI was working with the CIA at the time. Uh, the whole purpose of it was is that they were going to try to silence any opposition that they would have coming up, which was uh, Donald Trump coming up in this uh, front runner. Uh, they had hoped that they had really hoped that Donald Trump was going to run under the Democrat platform, but because he didn't, he ran in as a Republican. Um, their goal was to <laughs> cause a shift, a divisional shift within the country so massive uh, that this would make Donald Trump lose the election. Okay. And they were going to do by any means necessary. So they were basically using an old playbook uh, out of a, um, a Balkovich revolution um, that they did back in Russia in 1917. Um, the same tactics that they used, that they were going to use it here, and that's exactly what they did. Um, the FBI was complicit, is complicit with Black, the creation of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. So they funded, helped them organize, um, and or helped them orchestrate uh, every every protest, basically, and every riot that, that happened across this country on that massive scale. So we were told that that FBI officer eventually was released and he was not charged with willful destruction of, of public property and he was not charged with inciting to riot because he was under the the powers to be at the time uh, under the FBI tutelage so um, so that's, that's kind of where we were at with that so uh my question, and, and you know, I made a statement earlier, Jester, when you were recording uh, the last show. What I've noticed, and maybe you can answer if this is a coincidence or I'm right, uh, Black Lives Matter, the, uh, the rebels or the, the uh, I don't know what the right term, but in Ukraine, in, to, in Maidan, and after that in Maidan, uh, then you had other groups, I think, in Iran and in the Middle East that, that all rioted and protested. And they, these, these different organizations all use the same logo, with it, which is the Black Fist. Um, exactly. Is that a coincidence or is that – what I think is that no. uh, these no, are started no, by a lot of the same people. It, it's actually what is called a, a social engineering feat uh, because of the internet and because of social media today. Um, that is, that fist is sort of a propaganda of um, recruiting 
the, the youth of today to basically what they did was they created a thing called sophistry. If you don't know what sophistry means, I'll give you a quick definition of it. Um, so sophistry means it's a plausible, but is uh, I'm sorry, gotta get my glasses on here. Okay, it is a plausible, but is a misleading in an argument. So its method is used in causing uh, a distraction and control over the masses. So they, it's kind of like when you start a rumor, you know how rumors tend to get bigger than what they really are? So like if you tell, say you want to have control over somebody, so you go to somebody that person knows and you tell a rumor, it could be something... You don't have to be anything really, really big, but they, people tend to associate a rumor with symbolism. So any type of symbolism that solidifies that argument, okay, if plausible, but it's not necessary. And so an intelligent person would say, look, if you have a problem with this person, you need, you need to take it to them. But because of the youth today and the fact that they were social engineered through the education system, through Obama, uh, I'll just go back even to Bill Clinton, okay, uh, through the social engineering program that they placed in the system. They've been dumbing down the education system since 1962 when they took the Bible out of school when they stopped teaching civics, they brought in social studies. A social studies is actually a communist uh, propaganda tool. Okay, this is what they used the book of Ish, after the book of Ish revolution. They used they taught social studies. Um, and social studies basically does is it removes history and geography, so it gets into teaching. You know, well, you know, you need to think about changes in in our system. You know, and they always what they do is they they create a problem, even though it's not there, okay? It's not on a big, large, mass scale, but once they create the problem, then it becomes more than a rumor. It starts to spread in effect, and then they try to come in and say, we have a solution for this problem, and they talk about all these radical changes. Gotcha. And over, so over the decades, generations, they... they they say, oh, well, you know, um, they want us to be angry at anybody who's rich. They want to create divisions within their homes. They want to create divisions within the schools, within society in general. So while we're distracted with, say, fighting with your neighbor over um, who's the Republican and who's the Democrat, the military-industrial complex is running the show. They're, they're the ones that have been, been behind this whole, everything that you see that's going on today. They are ultimately responsible for it. And who controls the military-industrial complex? The Congress does. Because they've been in power for too long. They have no term, limit, no term limits whatsoever. They can get reelected as many times as they want. That's where Eisenhower comes in. As before he left, he wanted to say, 
uh, instead of military-industrial complex, he wanted to say military-industrial congressional complex, but he took the congressional part out because he didn't want to offend the lawmakers. He should have offended them. <laughs> that That is interesting. That makes a lot of sense. And so basically a lot of the stuff we're seeing, be it you know some of this racist stuff that caused all the riots or maybe even some of the stuff that occurred over in Ukraine that may not been as big as those like the whole civil war made it out to be right because it eventually evolved into a civil war that killed thousands of people and then now you know eventually where we're at right now with the invasion um so that's that is pretty interesting it just i just noticed that about the logo and there was they were all so similar you know and um i just it just makes you wonder so yeah i appreciate you explaining that so I'll, I'll tell you this little backstory. History is a really quick, really short. But when Adolf Hitler was actually running for chancellor in 1937 to 1938, um, the Democrat National Committee decided they were going to send four delegates to represent them to go over to Germany and to meet with Adolf Hitler. Um Robert Byrd was one of them. He was the leader of the KKK. He was the Grand Master. Second person was um, Margaret Sanger, who was a champion for abortion at the time. Um, there was a couple other. There was two. Uh, one was a Democrat, uh, Democrat uh, representative, and the other one was a senator. I can't remember what their names are right off that, but so they went over to Germany with the idea, of the, and the promise was that they were going to teach and instruct Adolf Hitler with what he was supposed to do, okay? They promised him well-funding. When everything came to an end, he would be guaranteed safety. So the short story of it is this. The Democrat National Committee... They were part of the industrial complex or the early days of the industrial complex. They were the ones responsible for causing World War II because Adolf Hitler had, he was in World War I. So while he's in World War I fighting on the trenches um, in France, he received a bullet wound to the left side of his head. After he was discharged from the German army at the end of the war, he went to see a doctor, and the doctor said, look, you have a lot of personality disorders. You're manic. Um, they believed he was bipolar. So he had a lot of mental issues to begin with, and which is the reason for his manic behavior that ended up getting him locked up in jail. So while he was in jail, he wrote his manifesto, which we all know is his book called a book called Mein Kampf. Um, now, when he got out of jail, he had a few followers, not a lot of whole lives. He said just a small, maybe a handful. But that's when he announced that he was running for chancellor. The DNC came in, and they basically gave him the power. They they put him in the position to get him into power to become the chancellor. Um, and from that point on, he was there was a constant communique 
between the DNC and Adolf Hitler. Now, when the end of the war happened, Adolf Hitler did not commit suicide. Him and Ava Braun staged their deaths and they fled to Argentina. Now, you're going to ask me, how do I know this? How I know this is because Adolf Hitler's original biographer wrote a book and published it and released the book in 1954. My father at the time was a high school student and he bought a copy of that book. Six months later, that book was banned. No one was allowed to buy it and no one was allowed to read it. Okay. And he kept this book in his little library all those years. And when I was taking a government class, he introduced the book to me. He says, you've got to read this uh, because what they're teaching you in school is not right. So I got an actual education from my father through all of his library books that there are all of his books in his library. Um, and these were all published prints from going back from 1900s all the way up to till in the 1980s. Okay. So <clears throat> that's how I knew about how the Democrat national committee was behind World War, World War II, how they were the ones that were, they caused a lot of things. And they did this by installing a, somebody into in a position of power. Now, this is not something that's uh, uh, new, I would say, because RCIA is still doing it. Um, 1979, Saddam was installed into power. Um, Muhammad al Gaddafi was installed by the CIA. Um, a lot of presidents in third world countries or in Asia Minor were installed by our CIA. The reason being is because as long as they played ball with the U.S. and had their oil or whatever resources that they had in abundance would be in U.S. dollars and everything was going to be fine. So if you go back to George Bush's State of the Union, um, I must say State of the Union, but his uh, national address to uh, the United States from the Oval White House, he was talking about one world order. And what he was getting at is this, is people don't understand. When I worked for the military industrial complex, okay, um, I was a part of what they called overseas contingency operation. My job was at UN and the CIA and the military industrial complex was to find any weapons of mass destruction, whether nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons in Iraq. We didn't find any. And we were there from 1991 to 1998. There's nothing there. Okay. And I want to tell you this. By April of 1993, when I gave my assessment to Bill Clinton, there's nothing there. Um, they still went ahead with the plans of continuing to infiltrate that country. Um, they don't like it when anybody opposes them. They don't like it when anybody uh, 
doesn't go along with their plans. Um, so, so I, I don't mean to interrupt you. So you're saying that the 2003 invasion was actually being planned in during the Clinton administration. That was pre-planned. That was actually planned in advance after um, a desert. I want to say desert storm. Uh, desert, desert storm. Yes, yeah. Um, desert storm because what happened was the CIA had given false information to Saddam because just prior to this, Saddam had just taken the oil out of U.S. currency and put it into Iraqi currency. So now this gives Iraqi value in their money. Okay, so now they are they are competing against anybody else and everybody else. So the CIA gave a disinformation campaign to Saddam to false intel that Saudi Arabia was basically collapsing and that they, Saudi Arabia belonged to Iraq. So that's the reason for the Iraq evasion of Kuwait. And then, hence, the United States gets called by the Prince of Kuwait of Saudi Arabia, hey, come help save us, you know, um, because we are your partners. So the United States comes in and plays the savior, even though we were the ones that created the chaos to begin with. So they had this whole, the whole thing planned out from day one. Um, it was all about, it's kind of like a magician trick. Okay. Magician is, is having you focus on one hand. What you don't see is what he's doing with his other hand. So basically, for CIA, the military industrial complex, they create, they, they, they created their model system like a business does. So for example, okay, so like say in the security industry, uh, you'll see this. I don't know if you've ever seen this in the past. So a security company owner realizes that in order for him to have his business be successful, he needs to create a problem within that community, right? So he might hire a couple ex-felons who have been in prison for burglary. And he gives them a sign where he says, I want you to go and break into these key buildings, okay? Not not just any building, but these specific buildings. And you got to do it at this specific time and in this manner, okay? Now, once that happens, who do you think those particular businesses are going to call? That security company. So they come in riding on a white horse, providing thousands and thousands of dollars worth of security, which they basically lease out their equipment and they basically run the security operations for that business. They charge that business thousands and thousands of dollars. This is how the CIA military industrial complex runs their organizations. And they've been doing this Pretty much from World War II all the way up to now. They've been complicit in this. And they are they are operated and run by the Congress. So here's the interesting thing. While people are so divided saying this Republican is, you know, Republicans are 
just assume our this Republican is a conservative, right? And they say, well, they are the good guys, basically, because, you know, they're Republicans. And you got the Democrats. All the Democrats are bad. Well, I will tell you this. Every single Republican and Democrat in Congress, maybe except the exception of a, of a couple, are actually complicit with the military-industrial complex. Oh, I 100% well, agree, yeah. <laughs> so there's a big smokescreen going on um, that a lot of people don't see. And I personally have been involved in military intelligence operations long enough to know this is how Congress works. This is where the Clinton Foundation comes in. So, uh, Sean, on that note, I wanted to go back to something that you said in the very beginning. Um, you were talking about how you were in the Oval Office um, and you were getting ready to brief uh, Bill Clinton and yes. you requested that Hillary left. Now, at the time, I know that the Clinton Foundation was operational, I believe. And yes, what it was. Really, it was what, really, what really makes me wonder is, you know, being that she was, you know, trying to be present uh, while sensitive information was given out, even though she mm -hmm. wasn't supposed to be. I'm wondering how much gets tied back to the Clinton Foundation, and I'm also wondering how much more information she acquired when she shouldn't have acquired it. Well, let me put it this way. I found out after I met with some pretty shady people in uh, Washington, D.C., at my hotel room, and they informed me that the Oval the Oval the Oval Room in the White House is wired. So the CIA and the NSA have direct access and privy to any and all communications from the, from the President's Oval, Oval Room. Um, what I learned was the military-industrial complex also had privy to all of that information that was coming out of that room. The reason why they do this is because they can keep tabs on their puppet, whoever their president is. Um, what I didn't realize at the time, Bill and Hillary were already part of the military-industrial complex in their organization as well. Here's what a lot of people I've talked to don't understand. The way the laws work in the United States, if you have a non-for-profit organization, you have very to little, no oversight on that organization. Unless something happens, okay? If you have a for-profit organization, then you have to be transparent with every single penny that your organization makes or receives. Which means is, Hillary, the Clinton Foundation being a non-for-profit organization can basically receive monies from any entity, enemy of state, um, any rich billionaire or oligarchs. Um, they receive money from the military industrial complex. But basically what they do is they launder that money and the money goes to operatives that work within our police system I put it this way their reach goes so far 
that I'm I'm willing to bet that your county sheriff or your city police chief is receiving funds from them. That's how far it goes. Yeah, so I've talked and, about that on my show with with those nonprofits and how those work. Like the Pelosi Foundation is another one because there's also uh, substantial tax benefits for them. Uh, yeah, they don't. They don't. If they earn one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more, they they get a tax break. Yeah. Well, and then uh, so like the ones that do the insider trading, like Pelosi. Uh, they can transfer a lot of those gains into that nonprofit. They don't. They can still hold those investments, and they don't even have to donate those investments and break even. You know, like the yeah. Pelosi's a couple years ago transferred four and a half million dollars worth of uh, Facebook stock, and the majority of it was gains uh, into the Pelosi Foundation, and they only donated one hundred thirty thousand dollars that year, and they still hold all of those gains and never paid a dime of taxes on them. And exactly. so there's there's so many crazy benefits to those 501c3s. And what I never understood is by law, you're supposed to have reasoning, you know, to, to get that 501c3 status because not all nonprofits get that. But every one of these politicians, uh, nonprofits always have. Yes, they have what they call the Congressional Protection Power Acts. So any business dealings that they have, they are not obligated to release their tax returns on it. Well, if they did, let's say the Pelosi Foundation were to release their tax information to the public, okay? It's not going to be entirely accurate or truthful because they also receive money from the military-industrial complex, which is not uh, listed in their paperwork and their taxes, they they basically laundered that money. So they have what we want to call off, offshore accounts that they funnel that money to. And the offshore accounts, the holdings of the offshore accounts is owned by the Central Intelligence Agency. You see how that works? Hey Preppers, do you want 10% off survival food? Go to www.readywise.com and use code DOOM10 at checkout for 10% off all your survival food needs. Again, that's code DOOM10 at checkout at readywise.com, D-O-O-M-10 for 10% off at readywise.com. Yeah, um... Yeah, I was going to go ahead and ask Jesse what you were going to ask, and then I may have another question for that. Okay, so there was a a chat that came in here from Richie uh, requesting any info on the DNC computers being hacked. Um, If you would know anything about that, Sean, I don't know if you would or not. Um, The DNC hack was actually done by the military-industrial complex simply as a mask. Uh, what I mean by that is when the primaries, the DNC primaries was taking place between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, um, they had to find 
they had to figure out which one would be complicit with their plans. Now, Bernie didn't have a whole lot to offer. Uh, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton did because of the Clinton Foundation, and they've been working. They've had to prove themselves to the military-industrial complex. So they rigged it so they could blame Russia. See, they create the problem, blame somebody else, and then they, they try to come in with some kind of solution to the government to find out who was hacking their servers. What they didn't count on, this is what I found out, I have a source within the White House when Trump became president, okay? So if I wanted to call Donald Trump, I would have access to call Donald Trump through my source, which I did only once, and that was because of the flooding situation where I lived. Um, we were supposed to be receiving FEMA grant, which in turn, the city was told when they filed the application Three months later, oh, by the way, you screwed up on your application, so you're not going to receive the funding. So, again, the, the state was telling us a different story. So we had a conflicting story that was going on at the time. So I made the phone call, and I said, hey, can you find out what's going on? I ended up talking to Mr. Trump himself. And he said, I will personally have um, the head of FEMA uh, contact you. I said, okay, that's fine. He sent me a letter basically outlining exactly what had happened. My, uh, my city mayor, the people who in the city government didn't know anything about this. So I went to the meeting and read it, this paper that I got from the director of FEMA at the national level. They had told them exactly what was going on, what was happening. Um, I'll put it this way. All the arguments that was going on before, it came to a complete stop and the meeting was over. Because now the city leaders found out the truth, and they were pretty pissed off about it. Trump had issued an executive order the very next day, letting state governors, all 50 state governors, know that any time they receive federal funding from the Federal Emergency Management Association, they have to take that resources and give it to those cities. If they don't, and they take that money and put it into a separate account for their own state government use, then they will lose any and all funding until that money is paid back. So, what was interesting is I've been keeping track um, with a lot of what has been going on as far as how all this stuff has been going on. I knew in advance about the star systems that Trump had installed, how he was tracking every single ballot, how he's tracking every outgoing and incoming um, uh, computer, um, you know what I call it, like a fax, but where all the signals are going to, they were able to ping to every single server in 26 different countries. In those 26 countries, those servers that all the vote, the ballots that were tallied that went through the machines went to were CIA sites, their black ops sites. And that's where they started switching the ballots over. I knew about this in advance. So 
I was mugged with another intelligence officer who was working with this whole thing to basically keep an eye on the upcoming election because I was assigned to a uh, voter area in, in Rockford. And they have had suspicions before in the past that they have um, stolen a lot of votes or redid a lot of votes or whatever. <laughs> so while I was there, we have security cameras that basically monitor that entire area. What these people weren't counting on was those security cameras. Now, the next day, when this gentleman came to pick up the machines and stuff, he came up to me and told me that a black briefcase was missing. So he takes me to his truck to show me how these machines, there's a voting machine, a white box, and a black briefcase. And they're kind of staggered. And so you see that there's a consistency pattern there. So we came back in, we see a machine, a white box missing, and a black briefcase missing. So I took it back to my computer, or my monitors, and I scrolled back the video cameras, and we were able, actually able to see what had happened, what had transpired, who had taken these things. Um, we also even saw how they, the election commissioner that was working there at the time um, was filling out ballots. So once they took the original ballots out from underneath the machine to give it to the counters, while they were distracted, he was taking the ballots that he filled out and he slipped them into the bottom of the machine. The original ballots were put into a black briefcase, which was then picked up by his cohort who taken the briefcase and made it disappear. is an emergency action message. At approximately 1 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Nora is tracking 15 ICBM nuclear missiles inbound to the following cities. Orlando, Miami, Pittsburgh, Dover, Newark, Richland, Philadelphia, New York City, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Boston, Seattle, Detroit. This is an extremely deadly situation. Stay tuned, the next emergency message will be a presidential address.